Also in 1999, they wrote their first vision, values, methods, obstacles, and measures strategic plan. This plan was to provide employees with a clear vision and align the organization around common goals. How many times have we been brought into an organization and the employees don't understand what the leadership's goals are? They don't know what the plans are. Things are constantly changing. And so Salesforce did something different. And this is what I like to teach and, and consult on is creating your business strategy first. I want to personally invite you to our Emotional Intelligence Mastery Class Phase 1. Now, you might be wondering, why do I need emotional intelligence? Well, that is the secret sauce to business communication, to engaging your team, to leadership. And the reality is EQ outperforms IQ. So I want you to join us as we go through two hours of great information that helps you get to the next level in 2021 and beyond. Get the tools, the strategies, understand business communication understand how you can implement and how you coach or how you support your team members and don't waste time now because we have it at a special rate so go to actleadconsulting.com backslash emotional intelligence again go to actleadconsulting.com backslash emotional intelligence and sign up today These sessions are going to allow you to be more proactive and get the tools you need to be able to be an effective leader and also really manage your organization. So are we saying a diverse amount of people in the C-suite jobs and the CEO role? So you have to be innovative. That's another thing that many companies are missing because we just we're stuck in the way we do things, the way that has worked for us. What's up, guys? Thank you for joining us for another episode of Internal Fire Presents the Act and Lead series with myself, Corey Sigu, and Tyra Shivers. And on today's episode, we're talking about Salesforce. I love Salesforce. I actually utilize them in a lot of the diversity, equity, and inclusion training that I do. I utilize them as an example of an organization that really knows how to implement effective practices that benefits a diverse group of talent that support their mission and vision. So that's what we're going to talk about today, Salesforce. What makes them stand out? What makes them great? What areas they need to improve on? And all this information is going to be beneficial for us to improve as leaders, leaders that develop ourselves on a regular basis because we're self-leaders, leaders that are supporting team organizations, or even leaders personally. So as always, get your notepads, get your note taken material and let's get into today's message what is up everybody look this is another act and lead live series right the rise or fall saturday uh i have my beautiful team here uh aisha is on the move aisha's ma literally making big moves right now uh but i got the, the systems master i got the queen of de and i uh, which is diversity equity inclusion for those of you who don't know uh, and then I got a little old me joining in with him. Uh, I know a little bit about some team engagement and, you know, kind of making families and all that stuff. But uh, so before we get into anything, I do have some leadership in the news. And so what we have is this company called Coinbase. Um, and basically, there was a whole bunch of complaints about the, the internal diversity uh, the treatment of specifically their African-American uh, constituents or uh, employees in the workspace. 
And so I wanted to bring that up because we hadn't talked, we hadn't talked about diversity uh, and inclusion for a little bit. Um, and I, I really don't want that to fall by the wayside. I want people to understand that, you know, this is still very much a problem and uh, there's still very much a issue on, yes, although there's, there's moves being made, we also need to understand that there's still a lot of ground to be caught. So I want to kick it over uh, and I, and I want to ask uh, Tyrus, Tyrus this right now. So Coinbase talked about, or, or I guess the allegations against Coinbase is that they they treat their African-American employees a certain uh, certain way. And to be honest with you, it says most people in color uh, know that there's a diversity problem in tech. So talk to me. Talk to me real quick, Tyrus. Like what what do you think about what's going on? I know we had, uh, you know, bounced some ideas off of an article that we had. Uh, what's your ideas on it? What do you think that this stems from? Why do you think that this may be a problem? Um, and then there's some issues with the mission statement that they had. Uh, I'm going to let you talk to that, too. So just looking at the mission statement off the top, they said that they are a or Coinbase is an apolitical and mission driven company with the understanding that social justice issues should not be discussed on company time or channels. And they offered a severance package, meaning if you don't like it, you so long, sayonara, we'll see you. And as of October 14, 5% of their employees had left the firm. Now, there has always been, you know, an issue with tech or the engineering industry with both minorities and females. It's almost as if I say that it's more of a it's more of a, you know, the good old boy club when you got the people that you're comfortable with and there's more of you and you are the majority, then everybody else kind of gets left behind. And so when we're looking at a company like Coinbase that's really purely tech, what is the incentive if they have most of their engineers of one race and they, they cater to them, they work with them, what's the real incentive for them to help other people? And I think, honestly, that their mission statement is just a scapegoat or it's just something to say, you know, we're not focused on this. We just going to let we only focus on the mission. And, you know, that may be okay. However, if you are unfairly treating people and it's documented and evident, there needs some change to be made there. Not talking about your political feelings is one thing, but treating people another way is another thing. And I think that's where they need to make the correction. And it seems like Coinbase just didn't try to make it at all. They just, Hey, this is what it is. And if you don't like it, you can roll out. And so, you know, Corey, when we're bouncing off and thinking about that, how do you help a company that just shows no interest in their employees feelings as a whole, I guess they're saying that, Hey, if we got majority of our people, we good. But if we lose a few, they lost 5%. They probably didn't lose no sleep over it either. Yeah. I mean, I think that, and based on the numbers, you know, 5% of their, their workforce left, um, that costs a whole bunch of money for those of you who don't understand staffing and all that. Um, I just want to put a number on that. So it costs about $5,000 per person that leaves your company for before, for you to transition that person out and then for you to actually find someone to come back and replace that, that person. Um, I believe that, yes, maybe you don't want to make it a, a, a political setting. Maybe you don't want to, 
you know, place this um, this political game to it or say, you know, that these are the issues going on in the times or whatnot. But you also have to understand as a company that we are moving more toward the informal uh, suit and tie. You come to work. We don't discuss anything. We go home. A lot of these people are starting to move towards family bonding type of situations, right? Like my company speaks to who you are. My company allows you and empowers you to do what you want to do, um, you know, if it's the right thing to do. And so one of the things that they said was the the social justice issue shouldn't even be discussed with them on company time or in, on any channels of it. So the thing is, is, yes, social justice may not be a political thing. We didn't tend to make it a political subject sometimes. But the thing is, there's a lot of people out here who it doesn't even it's not even about politics. It's about what I have to deal with before I come into work or what I had to deal with this weekend before I got back to work. And so that affects people deeply. A lot of times when you don't know what they're going through outside of work to then come into work, you're just worried about the work product inside. Uh, now, something I want to ask Aisha, uh, since she's our DE&I queen here, is what does this mean for that company when it comes to um, them caring about that? Is it a good thing that they don't care about it? Is it acceptable for them to not care about that or to kind of, I guess, hinder the voice of the customer? Uh, and even on a certain level, is it OK for them to say, well, we'll just if you don't want to work here, if you don't go with our mission, you can go. We know that, um, you know, in the tech business in general, there's a underrepresentation of colored people. I'm fine with that, though. The answer for me is yes. This point blank period, when you decide to start a business, a company, that CEO, those that they're in partnership with that start a company, they pretty much can decide how they want to run their business. They can say, these are going to be the rules and regulations. These are going to be the standards that they have to uphold. They truly can go about it and say, okay, we don't want to talk about these topics. We want you to solely come in, work, grind, and have a nice day. And then it's going to be up to those individuals that decide to partner with that company to purchase their products and services, those who decide to, again, invest in that company to say, I want to be aligned with a company that this is their belief. That is, I mean, pretty much any business owner, any CEO can make their business how they want. But Tyrus hit on a very key point. Now, when it comes to the treatment of people that are from different backgrounds, that's where we run into issues. Yes, have your policies, your procedures, however you want your business to um, be managed. However, if I'm a minority, if I'm a black person, if I'm somebody that falls in any of the other groups um, that is, is underrepresented in a lot of companies, essentially when I am employed there, the treatment of those individuals is key. Am I going to be discriminated against? Is there going to be language and behaviors that are problematic that's not going to make it a welcoming experience? Because DE&I, when we're thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, a company can still say that, yes, we want to have representation in here and we want to have a space that mimics what society looks like. In regards to inclusion, I want to welcome your opinion. People from different backgrounds, I want to welcome everybody's opinion, their input. And then the other side is I will also create seats at a table. But again, now you can still say, I don't want these conversations to happen about George Floyd, about social justice, about defund the police or whatever the topic is or political, um, political rhetoric. 
However, when it comes to how I treat people from different backgrounds, if I allow their voices to be heard, if I welcome it, and also do I create seats at the table for them, that is something that a company, yes, can ultimately decide, hey, we want to be a company that's not about that life. We're not going to allow people to um, elevate from different minds. They can, again, make that decision. But again, that's when you're going to run into a lot of problems. Um, when you start to treat people, you hire them, you bring them in, but now you're starting not to uh, include them in conversations and you start to say, we're not going to um, provide seat to table. So that's when it gets problematic. But yes, a company could essentially be created with any kind of rules and regulations and policies they have or they want. But now when you're thinking about serving the people and having people and different people um, of different backgrounds in those spaces, the question is, are you going to ensure that their voices are heard? And are you going to ensure that their um, people, um, excuse me, decision makers at the table that represent these groups so you can ensure that their voices are being heard in those spaces as well? No, and I think that's, I think that's good. And I, I think it gives us the, the the perfect segue into what we're doing today. And that was, it was something that um, Aisha was like, man, I really love this company, right? So I want to kick it over to her just as far as we're going to talk to you all about Salesforce. And uh, it's a CRM company. Um, it's the world's number one CRM platform. What is a CRM is a customer relation uh, relationship management platform. Uh, so Aisha, talk to us a little bit about, about Salesforce. Yes, I was really excited about talking about Salesforce because as we were just talking about DE&I, the reason why I love that company so much is because their CEO, Mark Benioff, has really made an emphasis on ensuring that those in those populations, women, um, you know, LGBTQ communities, um, you know, it could be someone in that it has disabilities, um, veterans, just different people from different backgrounds. There's a level of representation in his company. So I was excited to, to speak about him because when I do a lot of DE&I training and, you know, we go out and we talk about diversity, equity and inclusion, this company is one of the examples that we utilize because they're doing it and they're doing it well. OK, like LL Cool J, shout out, doing it. And, OK, but anyway, <laughs> but um, so again, Corey talked about they are basically the leader in the CRM platforms. Again, customer relationship managers. Those are those platforms that business leaders need to basically manage relationships so they can keep track of uh, customer information, their emails. Um, it's really a place where you can just manage all the customers that you have. Um, access to people that are supporting or, excuse me, utilizing your products and services and ensuring that you have that one-stop shop to collect all that data for that information. So for instance, if you call a customer service um, rep representative for that company, they can basically type your name up. And in this one portal, they have all the emails that were sent to you. They have all this information about you in a one in like one place. And that's really important for business leaders to have because that allows us to track and really um, make it look like you're not make it look like you're just not a body. Now I can go in this portal. I can see this information about you and I can talk specifically about, okay, I noticed that you sent five emails before Miss um, Thomas and this and so on and so on. And that's so important for these spaces. So they're leaders in this space. And again, they're leading in DE&I. And for Salesforce, they, Salesforce, they have really been innovative since, I mean, they, they had a, a message back in 1999 where they talked about, and again, this is 1999, we're in 2020, about to go into 2021. And they were already talking about AI. They already had in their statement about innovation. So they have been really functioning in a way as of 10, uh, 10 years ago 
where they've been really, or 20 years ago, where they've been really focusing on being a leader in this space. And even as of 2020, going into 2021, they are leading in this space. So I'm going to ask uh, Tyrus first, when it comes to the innovation and how Salesforce has been able to basically reach the top or maintain that space in their industry, what do you feel has worked in regards to how they have been able to maintain that top spot? So... <clears throat> It's funny that you mentioned 1999 when they started, because a lot of times companies have to go through bumps, go through hiccups, and they make many, many adjustments along the way. I think that Salesforce was able to innovate and stay on top because in 99, they created a plan. Uh, most businesses don't have a plan in the beginning. And so they started out with just one, two, what, five people working on the first version on March 8th, 1999 in a one-bedroom apartment. As they developed the prototype, they already started to implement culture. So they wanted to do it fast, simple, and right the first time. That was, and no fluff was their mantra. So when you're looking at software, and we talk about it all the time with phones, a lot of bloat software get in, gets installed and it turns people off. So having no fluff was a way that they could create their product, but only deliver what the customers truly wanted. Then also in 1999, they wrote their first vision, values, methods, obstacles, and measure strategic plan. This plan was to provide employees with a clear vision and align the organization around common goals. How many times have we been brought into an organization and the employees don't understand what the leadership's goals are. They don't know what the plans are. Things are constantly changing. And so Salesforce did something different. And this is what I like to teach and, and consult on is creating your business strategy first. What is your strategic plan? What's your business plan? What's your marketing plan? What are your standard operating procedures? How is all of that laid out in the very beginning? Not when you get 50, 100 employees and then 3,000 consumers. What is it at the very beginning when it's just the leadership and the core employee? So I think this is what really helped. And also they said that that mission statement, that plan that they wrote in the beginning, it remains today, 20 years later, at the core of how Salesforce runs this business and continues to guide every decision the company makes. When you have a document, when you have standard practices, when you have procedures and you keep going with the same thing, of course, over time, things change. So you make slight adjustments, but it should not be where you have to redo the entire plan over and over and over or remock it up or start over. They were able to continuously keep the same plan that allows the employees to focus on innovation, focus on their work. They know what direction they're going in. There's not a lot of question marks. And so that's how Salesforce is able to stay on top of the game because they spend their valuable time creating and listening to the consumer, not putting out internal fires, trying to figure out, okay, how do we maintain and control the business? Yeah, I love that. I love what you just highlighted. Um, 
And, you know, Corey, you know, when we go out and we do business development training, one of the areas that you like to hit on in the beginning of the training is highlighting, okay, when you create your business and you create this company, have you considered how you're going to stick around and think about the future, right? We always ask the question, is your business created? Has your company been created to be long lasting? Um, and I love when you highlight in that area because it has a lot of those business leaders that take our, our classes, they really start to think about, okay, is the thing that I created, is this a long-term thing? And a lot of times business leaders go into things and um, individuals go into things just thinking about the now. But what Salesforce has been able to do is create something where they really thought about things in long-term. So what are your thoughts about that? What are your thoughts about how they have been able to lead and you know add in that component that you really hit those business leaders about to think about when you are thinking long-term or when you create something, are you considering, are you going to be here for a lifetime. Yeah. And I mean, I, I really think it goes down to um, and something something that I was reading from the the jump from the company. So the product itself, you can always innovate that product. Um, but a lot of times what people don't realize is there's not a there's not an innovation or there's not a uh, a timelessness of who they are. And so we just talked about it with with Coinbase or whatnot. Right. It, we're, we're not innovating with the times. You can't speak your mind. You can't be a person and all this stuff. And so something that happened in 99, uh, I was looking at here. <laughs> they said that they appointed Mark Benioff's dog as the chief, uh, his dog, Koi, as the chief love officer. <laughs> but they would they would wear Hawaiian print shirts. They would brunch at mama's restaurant and constantly ask for feedback. Now, I'm going to get to the point to where I'm going to talk about their timelessness in their product. But that's to be honest with you, that is a little known uh, detail or a little paid attention to detail when you think about the timelessness of the company. So what do those actions show you? That action shows you that we are people. We're human beings. We like to have fun. We appointed the, the dog as the chief love officer. What company is going to do that? Because most of the time they're going to be like, oh, my God, we need to be so professional. And if I put a dog in this place, how are they going to take it serious and whatnot? What in reality, what they're trying to show you is and what that move tells me is I just want to show people that we're here to enjoy being here. So those first 40 people that they have, they're not in a situation where it's like just all work, no play. Um, it's just very linear. We're just going to do the job. Look at computer screens all day. Call it a day. Go home. But you can tell that there was an actual bond being formed. But that goes on throughout the time. Right. And if you. Again, if a company does that in their culture, their products are bound to succeed. So when you think about for them, right? So they started 2001, 3,000 customers. Then all of a sudden, 2002, they have 5,700 uh, customers. Like if you think about it, if you gained another 1,700 cu customers in a year, you're doing pretty good. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I'll take another 1,700 customers. Um, but here's the thing. When you talk about a timeless product, and then we sit here and we say, OK, what as we move, because in 99, right, it, it, you know, the, there was a technology boom and whatnot. And there was Y2K where everything was supposed to just shut down. Salesforce was ahead of the game because now they they have this product that will forever keep your employees, your customers together. And that's really hard for a lot of people to do, because. And Tyrus and I have talked about this before. Most of y'all just hustling. And y'all, I'm just, I'm gonna just be flat out with you. Most of y'all just hustling. Y'all don't have a, 
Y'all don't have a process for your customer experience. Y'all don't have a process for your delivery of the of the product. You don't have a process for the capture of the of the customer. You don't y'all don't have these products, right? And so I'm I'm talking to really the startup entrepreneurs right now, the business people. But when it comes to Salesforce, you really want to look at them and say, okay, how can I use them as a blueprint? Because the growth is phenomenal. So when we look at Salesforce, right, what are the things that they did? I should talked about AI, right? I'm looking at in 2009, uh, they built an application on force.com uh, for the iPhone launches um, and partnered with the Apple store. How pivotal was that to, for them to get into the Apple store immediately like that? Right. A lot of people, the, the iPhones booming, everybody, you know, doing that. But here's another aspect to it. Timelessness of a product, timelessness of a cuss of a of a company. Employees logged more than one hundred and twenty five thousand uh, dollars, one hundred and twenty five thousand volunteer hours towards the company. Wow. Most people are like, pay. Where is the money? Pay me the money because I'm not going to work without the money. And you got one hundred and twenty five thousand hours a volunteer from your employees, right? So I want people to start to think about, and this is what we really teach you too, is also the timelessness of your product. People need customer relations, right? Customer relations aren't going anywhere. Be able to pivot from the in-person customer relation to, to the online customer relation. And I think that Salesforce is doing this pretty well, uh, or I should say phenomenally really, because as we move on and even though we look at them today, I mean, it's number one for the eighth year in a row. Like, you know, they, I think it's what 20% of the market share that they have. That's big when it comes to how many people trust you with their customers. Essentially, I trust you with my process for the customer. So, yeah, that, that's the biggest thing for me. But I, I, I want to highlight going back to the beginning when we talk about timelessness of a product or a business, what did you set up in the beginning? I just love that they set the dog up and they were wearing Hawaiian shirts because there, there's a, a de-escalation of professionalism to that. And it's not bad. It just goes to show you that, hey, we're, it, we're in this together. That's good, Corey. And I'm going to jump in. <laughs> I'm going to add one thing. So it looks like that Salesforce was taking over from the 9-9 to the 2000 right along with cash money. <laughs> ah! They was taking over. So Derek dropped a question in the chat. He said, where's the balance point between asserting the vision of the leadership and embracing tweaks based on ideas proposed by the employees, team members? So I'm going to give it from my perspective, Derek, and then we'll go around Aisha and Corey and let them give it to you from their perspective. I've worked in corporate industries where they do have feedback boxes. And if you have a great idea, you can always submit it. And if it works for the organization as a whole, you can be in charge of helping implement that, but it really has to be an idea that lines up with the overall goals or vision. And so the company, the leader, the CEO, the board of directors, they are in charge of casting that leadership vision, those goals, whatever the, an employee or a team member comes up with has to fall in line with that first and then if it's innovative or if you know it's a great idea that supports what's already established then it should be implemented and i feel like the balance point is just having an honest conversation on okay we accept employee feedback we want to grow and we want to use our people to help us grow so deliver whatever information that you have and as long as it lines up with our core values and missions 
then we can begin to implement that. And just piggyback on what Aisha said earlier, it is ultimately up to the corporation on what their values and goals are. So if there's something that a corporation does that you may not agree with, then at that point you have to make the decision on, okay, is this a place where I can stay or do I need to remove myself because they're not aligned with the things or the ideas or the principles that I have? Aisha, what do you think about that? Well, I think that the team member input is probably the most valuable information that you're going to get. And the reason why I say that is that, of course, leadership, we're about role, like like what Tyra said, we're about vision casting. We're, we're focusing on the operations. But the beautiful thing is our staff and our team members are in the weeds. They're in the trenches. There are they're talking to the clients. They're talking to the customers. They're hearing the complaints. They're testing out the products. They're literally experiencing a lot of like the products and the services and the things that you're putting out there on the day to day. They're in the weeds experiencing it, hearing the feedback, collecting the feedback, addressing those issues. So the reality is, as we move up in leadership, if you're not going down and saying, I'm going to spend one week out of the month to work with the customer service team, then you might not necessarily know the ins and outs of how your vision, how your product and service, how this new thing that you launch is truly affecting the client, the customer, how it's truly affecting the team members and the conversations. Because, of course, when you put something out there, if it's trash, <laughs> if it's not that great, the team members are having to deal with the irate customers. So we can have our vision and put it out there as leaders, but also recognize and make sure that we're doing our part to ensure that the product and the services work. Find out, hey, from the team members, what's working, what's not working? What have you been able to identify? How you were able, how were you able to address this issue? What are some things that you're thinking we can maybe implement to be more innovative or to really solve this customer issue that you're having to deal with on a regular basis? So I think that's where you can find the balance, create the vision, have team members in the rooms that touch this product, touch this service, deal with the clients, have them give you their input to say, okay, this is my experience. This may or may not work. Test it out. Once you tested it out for six months or however time you decide to test it out, then again, and this is the big thing about maintenance plans. You want to make sure things work. So you go back and you say, hey, we'll meet once a month on this date. Let's talk about what's been working. Let's make sweet, let's make these tweaks and adjustments. And then as you continue to go through the process and see what works and doesn't work, then again, it's just maintaining and having that maintenance plan. But a lot of times as leaders at the top, we'll create these products, services, or these ideas, and we vision cast and we put things out there, but we don't take time and identify and really have, again, that inclusive aspect when we're asking those team members, those individuals that are in the trenches, in the weeds, dealing with the, the faces of the clients on a regular basis and their issues and ask them, what's your experience? What's been happening? What's been working? And then getting that information to make a make a um to tap into that adaptation tap into the adjustments you need to make uh before you start to roll it out i mean like right right now all these fast food restaurants are implementing these you know uh vegan burgers and these vegan items and so on um but for some people it just might not work um if if i was maybe working in one of these fast food spaces i'm gonna be like well this is what i you know i'm a vegan myself or this is what's um i've been hearing the feedback about the burger people are saying that it's not as tasty you know and and 
just imagine if the leadership team of McDonald's or Burger King or whatever company it is put it out and they're not getting the feedback from the individuals that are dealing with these customers on a regular basis that are saying like, y'all need to add some more ketchup. Y'all need to add some more sauce and more flavor to these burgers because I don't like them. And now McDonald's and Burger King, again, any of these companies that are putting these products out have wasted thousands or hundreds and thousands of dollars or maybe millions in marketing and all these things and these products aren't working so if anything look at it from the financial standpoint as well the more you can get input from your team members get their feedback then you'll know if something's working and then identify what kind of things you need to toss what things you need to maybe make adjustments to or what things you need to just say you know what that you you guys are right this is a trash idea and we're going to just think about doing something else Corey, before you jump in, I got to give a shout out to Fridays. I had their Beyond Meat hamburger. That thing was jumping. I ain't going to eat a lot. Oh, okay, TGIL. Yeah. Fridays, if you want to try a Beyond Meat burger, go and do that thing. You will not be disappointed. Go ahead, Corey. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm, I probably won't be on that train. However, I don't like burgers. But here's the thing. Um, kill your ego, right? It's all ego driven. Making changes is all ego driven. Um, but until you until you kill your ego, once you do that, then you'll start to live. And so you want to you want to put aside. This is what my thought is. This is what I you know, this is what I want to do, because understand the higher that you get in positions, you go to manager, you go to director, you go to vice president, you go to senior vice president, all of these things. The higher that you get, the more data driven you get. And then you lose your pulse of what's actually going on. And so what you want to do is. It no matter what position it is, um, my two partners just talked about it before. Get the feedback from the people who are doing the job. And once you do that, then you'll truly start to see whether this is a good or bad idea. Now, here's the second part. If it aligns with the vision and the mission of what y'all are doing, just do it depending on it. Now, I will say not everything can be done, but depending on what can be done. Right. Just just implement it. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. But it goes to show your team at that point that, you know what, I do trust you. And I think that your your voice is valuable. We tried it. It did or it didn't work. And then you start to empower your employees to start to think like you to say, OK, well, what change can we effectively make? Will this actually work? Will this not work? Um, there's one individual I sat with one time kept getting. I mean, the talent pool that we were getting was like less than stellar. And so I pulled that individual from H.R., I said, uh, I said, hey, because she, she was responsible for hiring the majority of those people pulled out. I said, hey, go do me a favor and sit with them for half a day. Sit with the position that you're hiring for for half a day. And after that half a day, she was like, my God, I didn't even realize this is what they went through. Right. But you're hiring people for that position, thinking that you have this archetype of person that needs to go into this position and you don't even truly understand the job. So what ends up happening? She goes back to her boss. She says, hey. I need to tweak some things. I need to make these changes. Her boss says, yep, okay. All of a sudden, you see the talent pool start to come up for that particular position. They're putting the right people in place for that position. So understand that, you know, that manager, that director, that whoever over that position could have easily said, well, no, we, based on the data, this is what we had, which is what she was met with initially. So based on the data, these are the people who thrive in this position, blah, blah, blah. But then the person says, but I've actually seen it. And the data that you're presenting isn't indicative of what the position's actually doing. See, the data may tell you 25% of the time they should be available doing these other things, blah, yada, yada, yada. But the data is not going to show you that, hey, I have a great talent pool and they can make a number look like whatever you want it to look like. 
And there's a lot of times where we use the data so much, not realizing that we have such such a great talent of uh, a pool of talent that no matter what I say, they can get the number for me. But what's the right thing to do? What's the easiest thing to do? What's the what's the the I guess the gift that we can bestow? And by gift, it means, you know, the thing that you do best, the easiest. What is that thing that we can put in place? for people to actually enjoy their job, to come to work, to not be stressed all the time, not be as stressed, I guess you can say. Kill your ego, just kill your ego. Then you'll start to live and then you'll start to see all of this, all of this, like, I, I mean, garden, the the house, everything get to be built up around you. So, yeah, this, that's the biggest thing I say. Just kill your ego. Take take the employee feedback and then implement it. If it doesn't work, it's fine. Don't go anywhere. Stay right here for the other half of this message. That'll be back to you in one second. I want to invite you to join our Act and Lead community. And here's what you get. You get a community of like-minded individuals that will help you reach or achieve whatever goals that you have. You get that accountability. You get people that have been either in the direction or they're traveling the direction you want to go and you also just get a group of coaches three coaches in this group that will help you mastermind strategize and solve whatever issues that you may have for your business and so we all know that network determines our net worth and that a community of strong individuals helps us get to where we're going faster so i just want to take this opportunity to invite you to join the Act and Lead community so we can support you to help you reach your goals. Click the link below and join our community today. I got one more thing on that. And it hits to your point, Corey, of the leadership as you get higher up is data driven so they don't have the pulse on what's going on. And that's why the show Undercover Boss is so powerful because you have these owners, CEOs, senior presidents of these companies realizing that, okay, something is broken somewhere. Let me go undercover with my people and figure out where the gaps are. And that show, if you haven't seen it, check it out, Undercover Boss, they got many, many seasons. That show shows you a true leader stepping out of their position, putting their ego aside and going to hear directly from the people and then making the correction, making the adjustment that the organization needs to continue to grow. Because as you get higher and higher, information gets filtered up to you. And when I say filtered, things always fall out. All of the, te the tech briefs, all of the information that could be pertinent, it doesn't reach that higher level leader because they have different people in between them to filter out certain things. And sometimes important news or important items get filtered out as well so if you are in a leadership position or if you are an owner emerging entrepreneur and maybe you have one or two team members right now get in the weeds with them figure out what they're doing day to day sit with them get beside them and get their perspective and then begin to make the small adjustments and implement as you go and now i want to pivot into sales forces dni what was phenomenal about me or about them, what I saw, when you talk about diversity, everybody said, okay, we're going to get diverse. We're going to work on that. We're going to put, put a plan in place, but we never really see that plan. We don't ever really see what they're doing. We just see the news clip after you got a Coinbase 
article that's negative, you may see something positive to come. Oh, we're making changes. We hired a person of color in our <laughs> as our leader in DEI, and we're going to make changes. They're our diversity officer, but those are knee jerk reactions. I like that Salesforce. One of their models or one of their core values is equality, and it's building a workplace that reflects society. So again, they said that equality is a core value. We believe that businesses can be powerful platforms for social change and that it is our responsibility to further equality for all. So Coinbase said, hey, we're apolitical. We ain't talking about social change and social justice. We're mission driven. Salesforce said it is their responsibility to further equality for all. So there's a difference in company there. And then for them, creating a culture of equality isn't just the right thing to do. It's also the smart thing to do. So they're tying in, okay, there's some financial impact that's going to come from this. There's something that we can still gain by doing the right thing because you got to be honest. These companies are looking to profit, and they're not going to do anything that hurts their profit. They're still going to tie things in. They believe that equality empowers them to innovate, build deeper connections with their customers and ultimately become a better company. They strive to create a workplace that reflects diverse communities around us and where everybody feels seen, heard, valued, and empowered to succeed. Clearly there's more work to be done because it's never finished, but together we can build a more equal workforce and a world for all. So another part and Corey, I'm gonna let you jump in on this, but another part that I like is they have their current state. 47.4% of the U.S. workforce is currently made up of underrepresented groups, women, blacks, Latinos, indigenous, multiracial, multiracial, excuse me, LGBTQ plus employees, people with disabilities and veterans. Their goal is to get it to 50% by 2023. So they have a current goal or a current state and a future goal. Then they have a goal to double the U.S. representation of black leaders, VP plus, and increase our representation of unrepresented minorities by 50% by 2023. So now they're trying to put people in leadership positions, not just say we got a diverse workforce, but actually diversify your leadership. And then their other goal, I already hit that one. And what I really liked about Salesforce is they create a site. It's called it's equalitydata.herokuapp.com. If you go to that website, you will see their current state versus their goal on each one of those areas of underrepresented minorities, veterans, whatever. You can see how they're moving. So there's a track. And I like that, Corey, because the more people that the more you put information out in the public, the more people can hold you accountable and say you're not doing what you said you were going to do. So talk to me a little bit about, especially in your area of team engagement, what does that look like for team members who say, okay, yeah, my employer does care about diversity and they show it because they give us a way to track them and hold them accountable. Oh man, there we go. Look, that just brings up the timeless piece more, right? The timeless company piece, because as we move generations, we talk about, you know, and depending on the training that we're doing, we talk about the generational gaps, you know, how to treat each generation. As we move generations, the millennials, the Gen Zs, they like diversity, right? They don't 
They don't want to be sectioned off, segregated, whatever it is. Not to say that the others do, but they live in a different time frame or they were born in a different time frame. But here's the thing. They're walking the talk. They're not just saying, hey, we want to be diverse. How many companies have we heard just between the three of us that, man, we really just want to be diverse. And then we go on your website or we go on your company and it's like, oh, there's quite some diversity you got here. Um, and I'm saying that with all sarcasm, but a lot of people are trying to talk the talk, but they're not walking the walk. So even from them, think about what that means for them. If they want to move their goal up to 50%, that means they're going to have to either find or, or hire and develop the talent to push them to 50%. What better situation to be in than say, Hey, I can join a company. Um, as a team, I'm going to develop you. I, I really want to put you in a position of leadership. And the killing part is they're talking about VP plus. That's not just manager. That's not just supervisor, team lead, something like that. That's now we're talking heavyweight position to really be able to make the impact or have that type of, I guess, clout, if you want to put it. They're talking about VP plus. But here's the thing. If I would have worked for a company like that, the majority of the time you ha- you're going to have different perspectives. So if I'm hiring and almost 50 percent of my workforce is currently made up of underrepresented people, then guess whose voices I get to hear? Guess who? We're talking about a customer relations management company. Everyone's a customer. So we don't have just one customer that we're hearing from. Right. We don't have just one point of view. If I only and I'm just going to use this, for example, if I only have African-American employees, I only get one one view of what my customer kind of um, archetype will look like. I guess that's my word for the day. Right. Archetype. Archetype. Uh, (laughs) That's what that looks like. Right. But if I have a diverse group of people, I know how to speak to every customer. So there's no customer that I can run across if my group is that diverse, right? The LGBTQ plus community, right? I'm not going to struggle speaking to them because I work with them. I'm not going to to struggle speaking with a multiracial person because I work with some. I'm not going to struggle with speaking to an indigenous person because I work with them. That in itself will alleviate a lot of issues, is going to empower people to actually be themselves. Is going to empower people to actually bring forth their cultural uh, differences, I guess you can say. Hey, maybe my religion is different than yours. Maybe the things that I do is different than yours. So it really goes to show you that they're they're walking the talk that they put out there. And so when you talk about from a team perspective, this is really what you want to do. Now, here's the thing. Maybe you have a team and it's not even necessarily a multicultural thing. Maybe it's a multi socioeconomic thing. And so we we work in a lot of places where we don't know where people came from. So maybe some of these people grew up broke. Maybe some of some of these people you work with grew up, you know, having everything. Maybe they grew up middle class. And so I gave a I gave a talk one time where I said everybody has their own background superpower, because if you really think about it. I can pull something from, and we just said this on the podcast the other day, Tyrus. I just, I, if you mix the grind with the exposure, you have greatness that comes. And there's a lot of times where the only reason I or the only way I can get the exposure is by going to get around somebody who's been exposed. The only reason, the only way I can get the grind instilled in me is to go around somebody and see how they work. So if we mesh those two in the team together, 
we I'm talking about greatness happens. So I just think that they're, they're walking to talk, Tyrus. Uh, I'm interested to see what Aisha has to say, because, I mean, really, with that diverse of a workplace, there's no way that you could tell me that you step into that environment. And outside of something being a problem in uh, maybe a process in, in the workplace, everybody's voice is being heard. Everybody has a has a, uh, I guess, a touch in how the business is running as far as the the cultural or you know, the, the, the underrepresented groups, the, the ethnicities go. So Aisha, what's your, what's your take on that? Yeah, you're right. Like I said, the reason why I utilize Salesforce so much and the DEI examples that I um, utilize for my trainings, and you know, we've used it as a team or we've done it as a collective is because they have really been an example of innovating and how they bring people in from different backgrounds. So for example, this idea of DNI started from the top. The CEO recognized early on that he needed to do some stuff for himself to be more. Um, I would say, let me, let's, let's pivot that. He realized he had to do more to check his bias first. And we're talking about moments where his female executives came to him and said, listen, there's a lack of women representation. There's a pay gap. And he's like, what do you mean? We're like the number one place to work. We're the ones that everybody wants to be at. So what do you mean that we aren't a place where um, diversity rules? So, okay, guys, <laughs> I know it's like uh, 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 the kids need me for a second. So I need to transition. Give me a second. I'll be right back. I'm sorry, guys. Like, Mom, family stuff. Nah, nah, you got it. You got it. But that, you know, that, that even in itself. So I want to even touch on that point. Right. So, and I talked about Patagonia before something that Patagonia does. I know we're on Salesforce, but she brought up, she brought up children. She has things that she needs to go do with her children. Right. And so that even goes into like the, the diversity, the inclusion inside of the company. There are people with kids, there are single mothers, there are two parent households that have issues. You have children and you have things that you need to take care of. How do we respond and how do we pick up from there? So it would. And in this case, let's just say Tyrus and I are the head of the company and it's and, and I'm just using this for an example. Tyrus and I are the head of the company and they say, you know what, Aisha, you can't go take care of your kids right now. Right. How does that make Aisha feel like make a choice? Right. I'm less than I feel less than I'm not empowered. Um, I'm kind of overly managed because you know, God forbid I have to go take care of my duties. So that really, that part really made me think about that, Tyrus. Um, just as far as that's one of the, the more underrepresented uh, groups too inside of companies are parents because we have things to do. And then we're then treated as not me. I don't have any kids, but we're treated as, uh, or we treat them as, oh, why couldn't you have something set up in place for your children already? I see parents all the time. And that is that is my uh, birth control currently, um, because there are so many things that parents have to do. And even for my team, even for my group. Hey, if you have I've seen people say, oh, you're having children issues or you have to go pick them up for school. They're not feeling well or whatever. And then you try to have this talk of, well, you know, you can't miss time or this and that. And all. none of that matters to them in a the moment. What matters to them in the moment is them taking care of their lineage, right? Them taking care of their most, really most important responsibility. So my response is always go handle your business. Take care, take care of what you need to take care of. So I guess what's your take on that? Um, because that's also a different aspect to it. 
as far as are we are we even considering these type of people but depends on the company depends on the industry that you're in i've noticed that working in government and contractor or military there is more leeway there with these types of things you're able to have more freedom as far as okay i need to go handle this or handle that and as long as you use your time, your your leave or whatever, or clear it with your supervisor, you're good to go. So I didn't see it that much. I don't see it that much as an issue in those industries. However, corporate sector where everything's data driven, where oftentimes, let's be honest, our employees are overworked. The burden is on them. Manufacturing is the same way. If you have to call out and they can't replace you, then you place a burden on that specific process that needs you. And I get it. I get it. If you work in the manufacturing facility and you need to call out and they can't get somebody else to work your machine, production goes down. However, I feel like at the beginning of planning, companies need to be able to plan for that. The age old, and I think that, you know, I think that the issue was back when we started the eight hour workday, when we started the mandatory you need to be here this time the nine to five all of that they weren't planning for dual families working and i saw by i saw somebody post that on facebook when they came up with the nine to five they were thinking about okay one person usually the wife is at home cooking or cleaning the whole time and you're gonna have one person bringing the money home that's no longer the case you don't have somebody there with the kids now you have to allow someone to or allow more flexibility to your organization. And when you when you don't have that in place, then you run into these things of trying to punish the, punish the employee for taking their time off. So that's my take on that. I, and honestly, Corey, when I got to a certain point in my career before I went, you know, for the entrepreneurship came in, d- with my skill set, and honestly, when I called around to look for a job, I would say, hey, look, What's the flexibility here? What do I need to do to take off? Is there a team? Are these, I started as an employee looking for amenities in the job. I just won't take a job. I just won't take any job. And now everybody's not in that position because maybe you are in a place where you have to take what you can get. But in my point, and at that point in my career, I can pretty much say, hey, I'm going to work where I want to work because the skills that I have is desire in multiple different places and it's always needed. So I started picking and choosing. A lot of people don't have that. And I think a lot of companies need to take a strong look at their policies and stop punishing the employee for things that the company should have planned for in the first place. One person, your company should not suffer if one machine is down for a period of time. I mean, let's be honest, Corey. In manufacturing, if that machine gets broken and needs to be repaired, you don't fire the machine. You just get it repaired. Man. <laughs> yeah, if an employee takes a day off and they can't man it, you want to write them up or fire them or whatever and have an issue with that. I got a problem with that. And that's why Salesforce doesn't have that problem because they actually look into their employees and 95% of employees at Salesforce say it's a great place to work compared to 59% of employees at a typical U.S.-based company. 59%. 
versus 95. That's a huge number. No, and so one of the things that um, you you talked about just now, you said when you go into a company, you ask specific questions. How flexible are y'all? What do I need to do to be able to take off these types of things? You took it upon yourself. And this made me think about a situation that I just had yesterday. I was helping an individual. She messaged me on uh, on LinkedIn and she she wanted some tips to because she said it looks like you you got your own company. You know, all these things. She said, I, I want some tips on interviewing with people. And then she was in college. So, you know, you want to help people out. But she said, uh, so I gave her the information. I said, the number one thing you don't want to do when you walk into a job is seem desperate. I said, now nah, here, let me elaborate on that. I said, a lot of people walk into a job and instead of Tyrus asking that question and saying, well, how flexible are you? They'll say in some type of manner, well, how much time do we get off? Is it a day? Is it a, is it a week? Okay, cool. That's still fine with me. Even in your mind, it's not fine with you. It's still fine with you. Mm-hmm. And then you start to ask questions. They'll say, you know what? We will expect this from you, but you never, you never speak back on it again, professionally to say, you know what? That might not, that might not, I don't vibe with that. Yeah. And so you put yourself in a place of like, like desperateness to really get this job where in reality, if you conducted yourself as a business, you conducted yourself as the leader that you are. When you go into these interviews, you're not so desperate to just get the job. Um, I gave her feedback on, I said, you know what I said? And, and she sent me a voice message. Uh, I said, tell me where you want to be in that company. She said, well, I just really want to be a leader and do all this. And I, I want to be able to, you know, join the company and get developed. I said, okay, cool. But I said, but you never told me where you kind of want to go. So I said, what's your dream right now? Do you want to be a vice president? Do you want to be a director? Do you want to be a manager? Do you want to be a supervisor? Um, what type of position do you want? And then paint the picture for them, for them to see where you should be. Now, here's the thing. When you paint the picture for someone else, you also paint the picture for yourself. So if you can't paint the picture effectively on where you want to be to someone else, you probably need to go back and think about what it is that you actually want to do. But it made me think about that, as you were saying, that that we you need to conduct yourself when you're presenting yourself to a company as more of a without the arrogance. You need me. I don't need you. Because I'm talented, I have value, I have these skill, this skill set that I can bring to you. I don't have to just, and I've heard this from a lot of companies too, I, I don't have to be grateful because you kind of gave me this little carrot or whatever it may be. So I guess that I guess that ties into, to, since we're running up on our time here, that ties back into Salesforce as far as does investing in other companies you know, from themselves, they want to they have a, a larger representation of minorities. Does investing in other companies bring down their value long term or, you know, will they rise up? So, you know, that's another part that we're actually getting to the fall part, maybe potentially, because we talked about a lot of great things. I think Aisha's back with us. Aisha, if you can come in and weigh in on the DNI part on what they're doing well with their employees as far as that equity, that inclusion and just how the fair treatment of them. Um, and then just transition us into what do you think about them picking up other companies? Because there was a statistic out there that said that when they actually purchased, um, who did they purchase? Slack. When they got ready to purchase them, their stock dropped 11% because of that. And then their growth kind of slowed revenue wise 
they forecasted slower growth. So take us out of the DNI and into what happens when a company starts buying up other companies. Yes, I mean, so as I was mentioning earlier, is that um, when it comes to how they do things, it's just very, it, it's, it, it's one of those companies that you can utilize as uh, you or you can follow their methods to really implement it within your company if DE&I is something that you want to do. Now, I know a lot of business leaders that are listening are probably like, man, this is way like way past where I'm trying to be. But I always tell entrepreneurs, business owners, you want to blow up, right? You're not just doing this entrepreneurship just so I mean, who knows? Maybe you are and you don't just, you just want to have entrepreneurship on your, you know, hashtags on your social media because you think it's something that's trending. But most business owners get into business because they essentially want to be long term. They want to get to the level of Salesforce. They want to get to the level of all these major companies that we talk about every week. Well, you want to really start looking what other companies are doing. And as you're building your team and you add in these different components, because, again, the blow up requires you to build a team because once you start getting into the operational side, you want to have staff and supporters around that can help focus on the other areas. So again, when it comes to DE&I, have you thought about as you're building your company, am I being strategic about who I bring in? Am I considering all these other um, entities and these groups that are underrepresented in, uh, underrepresented in companies? And why is that? So again, I talked about Mark Benioff. One of the things he recognized early on was his own bias. One of them he recognized his wife brought it to his attention where he had some executives go up and speak. He shook the male's hands after they finished speaking. But for some reason, he hugged the woman after she spoke. And he's like, she was like, what's up with that? I mean, it might have been some other reasons why she asked, hey, why, why, you, why you hugging on shawty? That might have been other reasons. But he recognized there that the way he was treating his female executives were different. He recognized his own bias. But from early on in the inception and when he started, um, when he was a CEO, early on, he recognized, listen, I want I want inclusion in my meetings. So 30% of my meetings have to have women in there. And then he also recognized later on his own bias and recognized, okay, I need to make sure I maintain professionalism and I ensure that my managers also do the same thing. So now he has a scoring card to ensure that when managers are deciding who they want to promote, that they're ensuring that everybody is getting equal treatment and they're looking at these scorecards and identifying, okay, how are the um, individuals in these minority populations being treated? So again, we see that that number has gone up to 47%. They're trying to reach 50%. So it's beautiful that they're willing to put out their goals for DE&I. And they're also showing that we're reaching those goals, but they're very innovative and they're really like, and again, it might also show the fact that in 1999, they had this vision and it's continued to evolve and that vision still has stayed the same and they're great at reaching goals. So I'm not surprised that they haven't been great in reaching their goals into DE&I. Now, yes, they still need some work because there's only one black female on their board. It's still definitely representative of one um, race. Um, same thing with the executive team. He has someone that he's brought in, a gentleman that's focused on the DE&I methods or the aspects of it. So there still needs to be work done. And as we see, it's happening. Um, there's representation in there. So that's a good thing. Um, but in regards to, so I mean, again, the, the when it comes to DE&I, we want to recognize as business leaders before I transition to the other part, that as we're talking about the blow up and getting to the next level and we're building our team, are you already thinking ahead and being innovative like Salesforce and saying, okay, let me make sure that I put the right people in place early on 
I add on this representation early on and get these people in these decision-making spaces early on. So as I develop, I already have that representation there. Now it's gonna be the same thing with partnerships. Now they've partnered with Slack, it's affected some things. And when, just like we talked about over and over in partnerships, you're probably gonna have a bit of a shakeup when you first partner with somebody. Maybe you have to take time and make some adjustments. Maybe you need to um, identify what's working and what's not working. And again, when you have shareholders and stakeholders and people that are investing in your company, they might think that certain partnerships don't make sense. And it's going to be important, I think, that in a season of fall, I mean, excuse me, of rising again, Salesforce is going, they have proven that they've been able to be innovative and really push towards change effectively. So I think that they're just in a pivotal season where they have to identify, like we mentioned earlier, what is working and what's not working. If we partner with Slack, okay, what has been the areas of concern? And if you have people that aren't investing, I hope they're having those conversations. Hey, we decided to partner with Slack. We realized that you started to pull back um, or you decided to pivot elsewhere. What, what are your concerns? Okay, once you collect all that data and information from those previous shareholders, now you can say, okay, these are the top 10 things that these shareholders were concerned about. And this is why they pulled their money out or decided to pivot elsewhere. Or if they went to a competitor, what did that competitor do to make them say, you know what, we'd rather invest in them and we want to pull our money and pull our energy and resources out of Salesforce. So it's going to be pivotal and important that even as business leaders, if you partner with someone, if you decide that you want to pivot in a different way and, and start to incorporate new products and services, that you start, to, again, to go back out and get the feedback of those that are invested, those that it affects, and then get that data make the adjustments, figure out what works and doesn't work, or decide that, you know what, maybe this investment didn't work and we need to toss it out altogether. So what do you think about that, Corey? Like, do you think that in this season where um, Salesforce has been shaken up, what, what is your perspective on what they can do to maintain that industry leader, um, leader status that they've been, they've been able to have for all these years? Yeah, I mean, I think they... Things things get sh shaken up sometimes, but I think their mission, their vision, and their the the way that they go about things that's that's unmatched. Um, so I I do believe that yes, although they've gotten shaken up a little bit, it it they just have to get right back on track by honestly by doing this the same thing um, that they've been doing. So and I to be honest with you, I really don't know how to put it outside of that. The you know we're acquiring another company that may that may you know, they, they forecast a slower growth and whatnot. But to be honest with you, I just think that some, it's, it's just business. Sometimes business happens and we get a little bit slow sometimes. And, and to be honest with you, there's a lot of entrepreneurs listening right now that there's days where you made zero sales. That doesn't mean you're bad at it. It just means that that was that particular time. That was that particular season. I, the one thing I'll always say is every, there's a reason why fruits have different seasons that they grow in because they are doing other things in other seasons and then the fruit is produced. So that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing for me or the biggest takeaway from that was, I just think it's a season that, you know what, things may, might have just gotten slower, but they just need to continue the vision, continue the mission, continue what they are doing and everything will get back on track. We see a lot of companies kind of, when the shakeup happens, they try to do something different. And then all of a sudden, it, it the the climb continues. So they just need to continue doing what they're doing, and I think they'll be perfectly fine. The growth the growth will come back up. Yeah, I agree with you on that, Corey. I don't think they're gonna fall anytime soon. Just with 
when you control a large part of the market share, even if something drastic happens, those power companies that you represent that that are your clients, they're not going to move. They've been with you for a reason. It's a reason why certain large companies use other companies and they all kind of fit in together. And I'm going to go back to my all dogs go to heaven days. You can't keep a good dog down. No, 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 no. <laughs> so they might go down for a little bit, but they will continue to rise and go. Corey, I want to, before we, before we close out, there was something that you mentioned about keeping track of your ownership, your numbers, your plans, all of those things as a business. Those things are very important. So as a business owner, even if you're emerging, I was listening to Kevin O'Leary talk about Shark Tank. And so what we see on Shark Tank is the five-minute pitch. However, the pitch is actually an hour. They can go up to two hours long, and then they just cut that out so we can see the good part on TV. But what Kevin O'Leary said, they go through a process. And I'm about to give you a framework right here as an emerging entrepreneur that if you want to get into business, if one day you think about growing and scaling, which you should, because if you are a business owner, a solopreneur of one, and you do everything, you just have a glorified job. It's still breathes on you getting up every day if you don't get up you don't make any money so we're looking to grow into scale and then you may take on partners or investors so here's something that kevin o'leary said that in the first 90 seconds they can tell if they're going to make an offer or not 90 seconds is your vision like Corey said is it clear can you articulate what you want what you do what service you provide, and how does it solve a problem? 90 seconds or less. Then number two, they kind of talk about the product. They go through a little bit of background. So then you need to expound on that information. Now, he said a large amount of people get through that process, but here's where they don't get a deal, when they start asking them their numbers. When you don't know your debt, you don't know your balance sheet. You don't know how much income you came. You don't know what, how, what marketing produced what income. You don't know how to market. You can't articulate how the company's going to grow anymore. If you can't do those things, if you don't know your numbers, you're not a business. You, you just like Corey said, you out there hustling. And I want to challenge you listening today. You don't get no brownie points or no kudos for being a hustler. At, at a point, Grit, determination, hard work, effort, hustling made sense, but only for a certain level. Carol O'Leary said the skills that you have can take you from zero dollars to ten million dollars. Everybody, he says, has the potential to do that with the skills that they have. But once you get to 10 million and you need to go above, it takes an entirely different skill set and perceptive or perspective. It takes something different about a person. That's why most companies don't grow that large and they fail because they don't evolve. So the challenge is, and Salesforce did it. They established how they were going to grow in a controlled manner with specific core values and ideas. And they kept the same principles from day one. They didn't, he didn't say they created their sheet or their core values or goals or strategic plan at 10 years in, they created on day one before they had any employees. It was just the core four before they had other people looking up to them. They had this strategic plan. If you don't have that in your business, you just hustling and you hustling backwards. That's what the streets say. You're hustling backwards. So think about that guys. 
We definitely appreciate you for joining us. So what were your takeaways from today's message? And quick note, there was a part on the episode where I had to kind of, you know, dip away and go handle some family business and I could have taken it out, but I think it's important to be authentic and really show the realness that's happening behind the scenes. Some of us are parents. Some of us are juggling multiple things. Sometimes things happen and it's important that, again, we're not only showing highlight reels, but we're also showing authentic moments. So shout out to all the moms out there the parents, the people juggling a multitude of things while also doing podcasts, businesses, and a multitude of other things. I mean, shout out to you guys. But back to what I was saying, what did you learn from today's message? Again, Salesforce is one of those companies I utilize examples of a lot of times when I'm doing trainings with organizations. And I'm a big believer that when you find an effective leader that has a process that works in business management and organizational management and organizational leadership and just people management and social intelligence and EI and all that, it's so important to study them, learn lessons from them. There's so many things that we can learn from those individuals who have been successful in that area. So I hope you took away some great things today. I hope you're able to learn some things and leadership in all these different areas that you can apply. Because again, we can consume information, but my question to you and my challenge to you is what are you going to do to apply it? It's about application. So go out and apply this information. Make sure you go back and check out the other episodes. Again, continue to be raw, authentic, real. Share your real stories, your real moments. Because again, for many of us out there that are juggling a lot, it is possible. So continue to grow and develop and catch us next week for another episode from the Act and Lead series. You guys have an amazing week.